Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Welcome to Gwinnett Church. My name is Reed, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And if it's your first time with us, you picked a great Sunday because we are starting a brand new series today. Uh, But before we get into how we're going to change the world, um, y'all, it's starting to feel like fall. I know. Somebody said hallelujah, right? Like it was, it was so uh, nice this, this Saturday, yeah, that was yesterday. Um, uh, I got to go to my kid's soccer game and like wear a hoodie in the morning and I wasn't like, like it, was, it felt great. And so um, yeah, I'm excited for fall. There's lots of things that I love about fall. I love hoodie weather. Um, I love college football. Any college football fans? Yeah. Inevitably, I know some of you are like, I don't even care, sports, but like, it's great. You're welcome here as well. Um, and so, but uh, inevitably, one of the things that ends up coming up a lot in the fall, uh, because college football is such a big deal in the South, is um, is people always want to know who your favorite team is. Yeah, like who who you cheering for. And people will hear often uh, that I am a graduate of the University of Georgia, and so. And they'll do stuff like that. And uh, sometimes they'll bark at you, you know, like, and you're like, whoa, okay, all right. Um, and so it's like, I guess it's appropriate for like grown people to do that. Like when, um, when it comes to sports, right? You do that any other time and that's weird, right? And so, uh, yeah, so I, I, I am a graduate of the University of Georgia, but uh, we're just gonna go ahead and clear the air so nobody has to ask me later who I cheer for. Um, I, I, my degree says Georgia, but I am actually a diehard Florida Gator fan. I know, I know. Some of you are excited. Some of you are right now contemplating, when do I leave? Can I get up right now? Is it like appropriate, right? Lost all respect for him, right? So uh, before you totally write me off or tune me out, and for those of you that aren't sports fans, just know that's a really big deal to like go to Georgia, but like Florida. That's like growing up in Atlanta and being like, I want Pepsi, you know? And so... It's a big deal, right? Like, it's a no-no. And so um, for, for, for me, though, the reason why this, this glaring contradiction exists is because I grew up in what's called a house divided. And I don't mean that my parents are divorced. They're actually together. They're sitting together. They're a delightful couple. But my, my dad was a University of Georgia grad and a bulldog and the type of man that will bark at you. And my mom is a University of Florida grad and she's the kind of lady that'll chomp at you. And so uh, the way that I became a Florida fan though has to do with growing up. Uh, my dad, and, and, and I feel comfortable saying this, he's actually in the room, had growing up, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll qualify. He had, when I was growing up, an unhealthy obsession with the Georgia Bulldogs. Bulldogs, right? Which some of you do as well. And we can talk about that in a different series about worship and idolatry. And so, um, <laughs> ah, some of y'all came just for that. So, but, uh, but seriously, he, he growing up for us, he had an unhealthy obsession with the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, meaning that like on Saturdays around our house, uh, things got a little 
wild, right? Um, it, was, it was extreme. That's putting it nicely, right? Like he would, when he watched the Georgia Bulldogs, he became a different person. It was like Jekyll and Hyde. It was like the Incredible Hulk, only he was not a hero. You know what I mean? Like it was wild when he would watch the Georgia games. It was like this person who, uh, who you didn't even know, like would just come out and he would yell and he would yell things at the TV that we will not repeat in church. And, um, and it was, it was, it was honestly, if it, as an 11 year old, I was like terrified. Right. And my dad is not a big man, but his voice is booming, you know, like, and so he's like, Hey man, you know, it's like very deep and it would rattle the house, you know, like he'd be yelling at the TV and you'd be like, oh, you know, like brace yourself. And I can remember as, as a, as a young man, um, as a kid, not wanting to have uh, friends over on Saturdays. Cause I was like, what am I going to have to apologize for? You know what I mean? Like after this, am I going to have to like write a note or like call somebody's mom? <laughs> I'm so sorry that he taught your kid that. So, um, and so it was, it was kind of scary and it was, it was a bit overwhelming. And I can remember at 11 years old, you guys, at 11 years old, uh, thinking, watching my dad watch sports, thinking if that's what Georgia Bulldogs are like, no, thank you. My mom, on the other hand, is peppy, right? Like she is excited. You will see her serving around here. She's usually over at that door. She'll speak to you in Spanish or English. And she is just excited about life. She is upbeat. She's positive, bubbly. And uh, she is a, a diehard fan of her gators, but she like wouldn't scream things that you couldn't repeat at the TV. And, um, and unlike my dad, like when Florida lost, like my mom would just be like, oh my gosh, we're bad. You know, like my dad, on the other hand, wouldn't talk to you for like three days. It was like he was in mourning. It was like somebody had died, right? Like, and this is Georgia in the 90s, so they lost a lot. And so it was... This was really a bad time to be, to be that. And so it would be like, oh, but my mom would, you know, it was like when the game was over, the game was over, life went on. She's happy. She's making you dinner. Dad's up in his room. He won't talk to anybody. You know what I mean? And I remember watching my mom at 11 years old and thinking, if that's what Florida Gator fans are like, it seems like a better way to live. And so I can remember deciding at a very young age that I was going to cheer for the Florida Gators and not the Georgia Bulldogs. And uh, the crazy thing is, is that that stuck. I mean, it stuck with me through five years at the University of Georgia. Couldn't get enough. Had to get that victory lap. You know what I mean? And so uh, through five years at the University of Georgia, I could not bring myself to cheer for the Georgia Bulldogs. And it goes all the way back to those early interactions at 11 years old, right? And, and now I say all that to say, my dad's come a long way. He has a new obsession and it's grandbabies. You know what I mean? So, and he doesn't scream at them like that. So <laughs> some of you are like, oh. Um, so he's, he's much nicer to them and it's awesome. And it's like a sweet obsession. And so uh, he's come a long way, praise God. But uh, I say all that to say, you may not care about sports and sports is not the point of this whole intro. The point that that I'm trying to make and that I wanna get us to see this morning is, isn't it crazy the way one person's actions can affect the way you view a whole group of people? Isn't it interesting that one person's actions 
can affect the way you view an entire group of people. You guys, you've, you've seen it happen before. You've experienced it. You've witnessed it. You've been on the other side of it. One person's actions affected the way you viewed, you know, a, a whole sports team, a whole university, a whole fan base. Uh, one person's Actions affected the way you viewed that entire company that they worked for. Uh, one, one server or one waiter or waitress's actions affected the way you feel about that entire restaurant chain. One person's actions affected the way you viewed that entire political party or people from that part of town or that part of the country or that part of the world, right? Like, isn't it funny one, how one person's actions can actually affect the way you view an entire group of people? You know this to be true, but this is, this is the reality. The actions of an individual can have a powerful impact on the reputation and credibility of an entire group. And, and you've seen it and you've experienced it that the actions of an individual have had a powerful impact on the reputation and credibility of a whole group of people. You've seen this in your, in your life. And this is especially true, you guys, when it comes to uh, the church, and the reason why we're talking about it this morning is because the reality is for each and every one of us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, something that you need to be aware of is that your individual actions and your individual reputation actually has a powerful impact on the reputation of us collectively. And the reason why that is a really, really big deal is because our reputation in our community actually has a powerful impact on the reputation of God in the lives of people. You see, and, and you know this, because every single one of you, you know somebody who wants nothing to do with Jesus or the church, and it has nothing to do with Jesus. It just has something to do with a Christian that they've met. We all know someone like that. And the reality is, is that uh, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, something that we need to be aware of, we need to be cognizant of, something that we need to talk about and think about today is, is that your actions and the way that you treat people is painting a picture for somebody about what God is like. Your actions and your reputation, they don't just affect you. Our reputation actually affects his reputation. And so this morning, that's what we're gonna talk about. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to lean in just for a little bit today as we talk about this. And I'd love for you to be processing this in your own head and in your own heart to be thinking about what am I known for individually because what I'm known for individually actually affects us collectively and our reputation collectively affects his reputation in our community. You see, followers of Jesus like it or not, fair or unfair, whether or not you feel like you signed on to it or not, somebody is looking at your life and they are making decisions and assumptions and they are coming to conclusions about what God is like and they're looking at your life. And so that's what we're gonna talk about. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is still a great Sunday for you to be here because you're gonna get to hear a little bit of family talk and you're gonna get to hear a little bit of where I believe that we're, we're missing it and you're gonna get to hear what we ought to be known for. So if you're someone exploring the Christian faith and you're exploring Jesus, what we're gonna talk about this morning is what Christians ought to be known for from the words of Jesus. 
And so if you're exploring faith, you're gonna get to hear that. And then here's the deal. If you're not a a, a Jesus person, you're not a Jesus follower, uh, the other good news is, is that now you're gonna hear what we ought to be known for. And even if you never believe what we believe, you get to hold us accountable, right? And so that's really, really good news for you. And so this is a great Sunday for, for all of us. But if you call yourself a Jesus follower, you really gotta lean in because, again, our reputation ultimately affects his reputation. And so the question that we gotta ask ourselves this morning is, what are we known for? What are we known for? You see the, uh, the four stuff all around our church, and that's because when we were starting this church, we asked ourselves this question, what are we known for? And then we started to go, what do we want to be known for? And, and, and we said, we wanna be known for what we're Four, and, but, but in this day and age right now, we gotta ask ourselves this question, what are we known for? Is it our, is it our stances? Is it our, is it our rules? Is it our morals? Is it our social media posts? Is it our politics? Do people know what we're for or do they just know what we're against? It's a good question to consider. I did, a, I did a quick Google search this week when I was prepping for this, and I just typed in the, the Google search bar. I typed in Christians are, and then I pressed enter. And, um, and the, the words that were used to describe and the articles that came up, it was, uh, it was sobering. It was a little jarring. Uh, the words that came up were things like judgmental, hypocritical, divisive, inconsistent, angry, mean, hurtful. I was like, ouch. And it's not surprising. I mean, we've, we've heard some of this before, that that's kind of the words that people would use. And I, I understand that this is a quick Google search. And so, you know, uh, people, people obviously have their own biases and stories and some of that stuff isn't maybe necessarily fair, but fair or unfair, the reality is, you guys, these are the words that a lot of people outside of here are using to describe those of us that gather here. And if that's true, then we've got a problem. That's not a really, really, that's not a really good thing, right? That means we've got a reputation issue and bad reputations, they are easy to make, but they're hard to shake, amen? And, and so, so if we've got this, if these are the words that people are using, then the question that I want us to consider this morning is how do we change it? How do we change that? What can we do as Jesus followers in order to change that reputation so that we paint a better picture of Jesus for our community and for the world around us and for our neighbors and our coworkers and the people in our family that want nothing to do with Jesus because of things that they've seen in us? What can we begin to do to change it? And I think in order to get us moving in that direction, the question that I really want us to wrestle with today is not what are we known for, but what should we be known for? Because I think if we're gonna make progress in this and we're gonna begin to change the narrative and change the reputation, then we gotta nail this down. We gotta know what it is that we ought to be known for so that we can begin to live into that and paint a better picture. And so uh, the good news about all of, about this question is that Jesus makes it abundantly clear what it is that we ought to be known for. Uh, he, it's, not, it's not some hidden meaning. It's not some thing that you gotta like decipher like in the Bible, if you read every third word and then you do it backwards and then all of a sudden there it is, right? Like it's not, it's not a secret, it's not hidden. Jesus was actually very, very clear on what it is that we ought to be known for the most. 
the thing that should be our defining characteristic, the thing that people should think about when they think about us, that they should experience from us, the word that they should use to describe the people who gather here when they're not here, like, like he's clear about it. And so I wanna show you this morning what Jesus says about what we ought to be known for, about how we can paint the very best picture of him to our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates and our friends, how we can be the best representations of him and begin to change that reputation that a lot of us have actually earned. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a look at this. This is in John chapter 13, and Jesus is nearing the end of his life and ministry on the earth. And, and in this chapter, he's beginning to prepare his followers for life when he's now died and resurrected. And so he's not gonna be with them anymore and he's handing the mission and, and the message off to these guys and he wants to make sure that they keep the main thing the main thing. He wants to make sure that they're really clear about what the, the main point of all of this is and that they're known for what it is that they ought to be known for and that they can be the best representatives of him that they can possibly be. And so Jesus is sitting down. He, he sits down with them. They've entered into, into Jerusalem. They've had a meal together. Jesus has washed their feet and now they're having this conversation and the disciples are wondering where he's going, but he's like, I gotta prepare you. Don't worry about where I'm going. You need to worry about what's gonna happen after I'm gone. And so he's preparing them. And in this conversation, Jesus makes this statement to them. He says to them, and this is in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. He says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is breaking it down. He's about to hand this thing off. He's wanting it to be really, really clear. He's wanting to make sure that they keep the main thing, the main thing. And as he does, he gives them this new command. He says, this is the thing that you got to hold on to. This is the thing that you ought to be known for. This is the thing that people should experience from you. This should be your defining characteristic. This should be what people see and experience in and through your life. And it's this word right here, love. Love, he says, is the defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus. Love is the thing that you should be known for. Not our stances, not our morals, not our, like all of those things are great, not our, not necessarily our rightness or our theology. Like it, he goes, the defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus is love and how you love one another, how you love the person next to you. He says that is what you ought to be known for. Now, before you like gloss over and go, that sounds too simplistic, too soft, too cliche, too shallow. These are all the things that we hear. Oh, it can't just be that easy. It can't just be love. That sounds so cliche, Read Like, before you do that, I just want you to know this Jesus brand of love is, is unique and it is different and it is impactful. And, and so I wanna make three observations on this love that, that signify and, and show the power and the potential of this love and show the uniqueness and the difference. And, and, and so I wanna show you three observations on this love that make it unlike any other love that the world has ever known. And, and, and then I wanna challenge us to live out this love here at the end. And so three observations on this love, three things you need to know about this Jesus brand of love that make it different, distinct, unique, and powerful 
in our lives and in the lives of others, that if we're known for it, it could actually be a game changer. The first thing that you need to know about this love is one, that it's defined. This love is defined. Now, definitions are important. We know that, right? And love is one of those ones that has a lot of different definitions because some of you will say, I love pumpkin spice lattes, but then you'll also say, I love my parents or my children, right? And so love can be this kind of junk drawer word where it gets used and abused and people you know, use it to describe all sorts of things. And so we all, if I were to pass the mic, which I will never do, but like if we were to pass the mic uh, around, you would all have different definitions of love, yes? You'd all have, some of you would say, love is that feeling that I get. Some of you would describe love and you would say, love, like what it looks like to love is for people to agree with me. Some of you would say, when it comes to love, you would say, love is me letting you do you and I'll do me, right? Like it's me minding my own business. Like you do you, boo-boo, live your truth, right? Like, Like some of us would say that that, is love. Some of us would say that love is actually getting all up in everybody's business and reminding them of all the things that they're doing wrong, right? Like, and so we would have, we all have these different definitions of love and, and, and we all have different ways that, you know, if we're defining this and if we're the ones that are in control, then we're going to love based on how we feel that day. Or we might love based on how much we think they deserve to be loved, And there are people that we would write in and we would include in our love and there are people that we would very quickly dismiss if it's left to us, right? Like, uh, like, and, and so the good news about this love and the thing that makes this Jesus brand of love different though is that it's not defined by you and by me, which is really, really good news. It's defined by Jesus. You see, the thing that makes this Jesus brand of love not cliche and not soft and not simplistic and not shallow, what makes it different and distinct and unique and powerful is that it's not defined by you and by me and it's not defined by however we're feeling and however we'd like to show love to whoever we'd like to show love to. Jesus defines this love and his definition is powerful and compelling. You see, Jesus defines his love right there in that passage. You can see it. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. And you're thinking, well, that's not new, right? Like, like we heard that in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. Like, we've heard this command, Jesus. What makes this command new? But the thing that made it new is he adds this thing. He says, as I have loved you. This is what made it new. Because now it's not just love how you'd like to be loved. Now it's not just love based on how they deserve to be loved or whether or not they deserve to be loved. Now it's love based on how he has loved us. And that is the definition of love. Jesus looks and says, my brand of love, the thing that you ought to be known for, isn't love just however you feel. It's not love however culture defines. He says, it's loving people the way that I have loved you. And this, you guys, you gotta imagine for the people that were sitting there in the room at that time, hearing this for the first time, the ones who heard this and it really was a new command, this was, this was radical. And sometimes we can kind of, oh, we hear about love all the time in church and so it doesn't seem as radical to us, but I'm telling you, for the guys sitting there at that table that evening with Jesus as he gives this new command, as he gives his definition and his brand of love, this would have been radical because they're sitting there at the table and they've just watched him wash their feet and they've spent time with him and every single one of them could think of a moment where Jesus had loved them in a way that took their breath away, in a way that changed the trajectory of their life. 
And so you got someone like Peter. And Peter is sitting there, and as Jesus says, Peter, the brand of love that you're gonna be known for is loving the way that I've loved you. Peter can think of a time where he was sitting in a boat, and he was a fisherman, and he had thought that that, would all, that was all his life would amount to. And then Jesus gets in his boat and sees purpose and potential in his life that nobody else had seen. And Peter is hearing that and going, wait, okay, so that's how I'm supposed to love people? I'm supposed to love people in a way that sees purpose and potential in them even when they don't see it in themselves? And Peter is going, well, that's different. That's not just any old kind of love. That's not just cliche. That's literally changed my life. You also have Matthew who's sitting at that table. Now, if you don't know about Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector, a sinner, someone who his culture and his community would have told him, they would have said, you are too far gone for God to forgive. God doesn't deal with people like you. And Matthew is sitting at that table and he hears Jesus say, hey, the thing that you're supposed to be known for the most, the main thing that you gotta keep, the main thing is loving people the way that I've loved you. And immediately Matthew is thinking about that day he was sitting at the tax collector booth. And he was sitting there thinking that there's no way God would ever want anything to do with him. And Jesus strolls up and says, follow me. And he says, you, you too can get in on this thing that God is doing in the earth, and Matthew starts to think, that's how I'm supposed to love people? You mean I'm supposed to forgive the people that think that they're too far gone? You mean I'm supposed to extend a second chance to the people that everyone else has said doesn't deserve it? You mean I'm supposed to bring in those have, that have been cast out? And so Matthew is thinking, this is, this is radical. It's not how I would have defined love. But Jesus says, this is the brand of love that you should be known for. And even as I say that right now, there are many of you out here and you could think of specific examples of times where God has shown up for you, where he has loved you in a way that surprised you. There are some of you in here and you are just glad to be in the room that God has given you a second chance. There are some of you in here and you can remember the moment that you knew that you were forgiven. You can remember the moment where God showed up in the middle of your mess. You can remember the comfort that he provided, the guidance that he provided. Some of you are sitting here and you can remember when God showed up and gave you grace when your marriage fell apart. You can remember the moments where he showed up. And, and, and if you have that in mind, Jesus is going, love like that. That's what you should be known for. Loving people the way that I have loved you. He goes, that's my brand of love. Now, if you're someone that needs a word definition, okay, read, like I can't really, I don't got the picture, like I was water birthed in the baptismal, I've always been around church, and so I'm good, like, like I, it's hard for me to think of a time where Jesus surprised me with his love because I feel like I've always known it. Then listen, let me give you a definition of what the love of Jesus is, this brand of Jesus's love, and it's written very powerfully by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, this is 1 Corinthians 13, and normally you hear this at weddings, and it is a shame that we have relegated this to just mushy moments at weddings. While it is powerful, and it's great, and if you had it read at your wedding, 
praise God, right? Like, so I'm not, no shade on your wedding, right? Like, but, but this is so much bigger than just something to be read at weddings in a moment of romance, right? Like, like Paul is breaking down what the love, the brand of Jesus's love. He is giving it words and definition. And he's going, do you want to know what love looks like? Do you want to know what we ought to look like? Do you want to know what Jesus's love really looks like? He goes, let me break it down for you. And he gives us this definition where he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And Paul is going, this is what the brand of Jesus' love looks like. This is what Jesus' love looked like when he was walking around on the earth, and it's what our love ought to look like. What's amazing is I heard a pastor say this one time, and he said, what, what's so cool about this definition is you could put Jesus' name in the place of love, and it would be a perfectly accurate description of who he is. So you could read it, Jesus is patient, he's kind. He doesn't envy or boast. He's not proud. He does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. That is an accurate description. That is a perfect description of who Jesus is and his brand of love. Now, what makes it challenging, this pastor, what he challenged all of us to do is, he said, if you really wanna know if you're living out the Jesus brand of love, and this is where it gets convicting, and it's not cliche or shallow or simplistic, he goes, you wanna know if you're living out the Jesus brand of love and really being known for the kind of love that we ought to be known for? He says, put your name in that place, and then read it. Now, I know a lot of your names, and I won't, but <laughs> I'll be the guinea pig this morning. And it would read like this. Read is patient. Read is kind. He doesn't envy. He doesn't boast. He's not proud. He doesn't dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. And y'all, I can't even finish it. I get emotional because I'm like, I fall way short of this. Like all the time. And when Jesus says love is what you should be known for most, there's nothing soft or cliche or simplistic or shallow about it if that's the definition. And so he says, it's defined. And it's not defined by you and me, it's defined by him. He says, this is the brand of love that we ought to be known for the most. This is what people should experience on the other side of us. This is what they should see in us. This is how we paint the most accurate picture of Jesus. This is how our reputation accurately reflects his reputation. It's when we're known for this kind of love. And so that's part of what makes this Jesus brand of love unique is that it's not defined by however you feel, it's defined by what he's done for us. Now, the second thing about this love, not only is it defined by Jesus, but also something that makes this Jesus brand of love unique is that it's developed. And when I say developed, I mean like it is not this Jesus brand of love, right? Like all of us can love just naturally. You're born, you can love things, uh, typically it's yourself, right? And so uh, all of us can love naturally, but this Jesus brand of love does not come naturally. 
a selfless kind of love and others first and others focused kind of love, that does not come naturally. If you doubt me, have a child, right? It does not come naturally, right? Like, like, and so this Jesus brand of love, it actually comes with a disclaimer that says some assembly required. It is developed it is not something that just happens overnight. You don't hear one sermon and then just go, all right, that's it, got it, cool, all right? I'll come back next week and never have to hear about it again. No, 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 no. This is a love that is developed over time because it goes contrary to all of our normal desires and all of our default settings, this Jesus brand of love. And so part of what makes it unique and different and distinct is that this brand of love must be developed from within by the Holy Spirit working in us, this love is developed. It doesn't just happen in an instant, it is actually developed over time. And the way that it's developed, you guys, the way that this love is developed is through two things, proximity and practice. And when I say proximity, the first thing that I mean is like proximity to Jesus. You see, the more you're around Jesus and you experience his love for you, the more you can express it. But it is impossible to express love that you have not experienced, amen? And so proximity to Jesus is one of the ways that this love, the, brand, the Jesus brand of love develops within us. That's why I'm always, as, as, as your pastor, I'm going to encourage you to get into your Bible and to read it for yourself and to, and to spend time with Jesus in prayer and in worship. It's why I'm gonna encourage you to get here to church or to watch online because, right, this isn't a one and done type love. This is something that requires constant maintenance. It's developed by getting in proximity to Jesus and experiencing his love for us so then we can express it. And so that's why you're gonna hear us talk about it a lot. You're gonna hear messages about it because it's not just, it's not our default setting. It's not something that we can just, you know, set it and forget it. We have to constantly keep coming back to it over and over and over again. And the more proximity we spend with Jesus, the more we're around him, the more we're able to then practice this love in our relationships. And so proximity and practice, the practice part is as you learn and you experience the love of Jesus, then you go and put it into practice. It's not enough for us to get together and just talk about it in here and then just be like, good job us, we listened great, you know what I mean? Like it's actually got to be then put into practice in our life and our relationships. So as we talk about the way that Jesus is forgiven, then we go and we try to put it into practice in our relationships. And as we talk about how, how Jesus is, um, is reaching out to people who are far from him and inviting them in, and as we talk about the way that Jesus loves and forgives and accepts and invites, then we go out and we do that in our life and our relationships and we put it into practice. And in so doing, the Holy Spirit develops that love within us and we get better and better and better. The practice does not make it perfect, but it does help us make progress. And so this love is unique and distinct, one, because it's defined not by you and me and however I feel like loving, but it's defined by Jesus. And then it's unique and distinct in that it does not come natural, but it is developed within us by spending time with Jesus and putting it into practice in our relationships. And then finally, the thing that makes this love unique and distinct amongst all other loves that you've ever heard about or talked about or experienced in your life is that this love is transformative when demonstrated. This Jesus brand of love is transformative when demonstrated. There are other brands of love out there and they might change you for a little bit and then you get past the honeymoon period and then you're like, nah, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, 
And yet this brand of love, this Jesus brand of love, it is transformative. It changes things when we actually begin to demonstrate it. First and foremost, it changes you. It changes me. It changes us when we begin to demonstrate this love. It's crazy. When you start to live this love out and you begin to love other people the way that Jesus has loved you, it is transformative in your own life. It begins to scrape away at calluses that were on your heart. All of a sudden, you find that your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh and blood. Uh, like As you begin to demonstrate this love, people that you couldn't stand before become people you pray for. All of a sudden, right, like, like pity gives way to actual compassion. Apathy gives way to action. Bitterness gives way to forgiveness and reconciliation. Like things change in you when you express and you demonstrate this Jesus brand of love. It transforms us from the inside out. Not only that, not only does it transform us, but it also, it transforms others. When you begin to demonstrate this Jesus brand of love, it begins to transform other people who have come into contact with, with, with you because I'm just telling you, when you are loved by somebody in a way that Jesus has loved them, it is a game changer in your life. It's powerful, it's attractive, it's compelling, it's inspiring, it's encouraging, it's uplifting, it's dignifying. It is all of those things and it could be life-changing for somebody that's on the other side of you. And I know that, you guys, because I've experienced that. That's ultimately what changed my life. At 20 years old, I wanted nothing to do with Jesus because of some followers of Jesus that I had met. And then I met a follower of Jesus who actually demonstrated and was trying to live this love out. And on the other side of him, you guys, it was life-changing for me because nobody had ever loved me like that. It was powerful and it changed everything for me and it could change something for someone else that's on the other side of you and so it's transformative for others and you guys, ultimately, it is transformative for communities. Let me just tell you that wherever this love is demonstrated, in any community, city, neighborhood where this love is demonstrated, things get different. Things change for the different, or things are different for the better. And so communities are made different because all of a sudden when you begin to love your community the way that Jesus has loved you, then all of a sudden needs are met, service is given, uh, finances are given, uh, justice happens, hope happens, restoration happens, like places, cities and communities are different where this love is demonstrated. And so it's not cliche, it's not simplistic, it's not shallow, that this would be the thing that we are known for the most. Jesus says, according to him, he says the thing that we should be known for the most is love as defined and developed by him and demonstrated through us. So what are we known for? Is it that? Is it the Jesus brand of love? I don't think it always is, but it can be and it should be. And if it is, you guys, then it might just be the way that we change the world. You see, I am 100% convinced that our world does not need better explanations of Jesus. It needs better examples. I think that that is what our world is desperate to see, and we have the opportunity to show them. And so Gwinnett Church, that's my hope for us. 
that we would paint the best picture of Jesus in the way that we live and in the way that we love, that we would be known as people that are known for this Jesus brand of love, that that's what people would see and experience through us, that that's what people who aren't here would say about the people that gather here because they've witnessed it in and through our lives. That is my hope for us. And if we will love in that way, as defined by Jesus, if we'll let that love be developed in us and demonstrated through us, then that, I believe, is how we change the world. It's that kind of love has changed the world once, and I genuinely believe it's how the world will change again. Amen? Let me pray for us. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your, your love, your radical, over-the-top, abundant, extravagant love for us. And thank you that you've given us the perfect picture of what your love looks like and what we ought to be known for in Jesus. Thank you for how he has loved us by laying himself down for us. And I pray that you would help us to do the same. Help us to be known for that kind of love. Love that's defined by you. Would you develop it in us and help us to demonstrate it in the world around us? Because God, we want people to see the best picture, the most accurate picture of you in us that they possibly can. So forgive us for the ways that we fall short. Forgive us for the times that we've painted the wrong picture. Forgive us for the times where we've muddied the waters. Would you help us to leave here and to live and love that kind of Jesus brand of love this week in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our families, in our homes, in our relationships. Would you help us to be those kind of people? We ask for your help in Jesus.